0: Welcome to the Centerpoint Church Podcast. At Centerpoint Church, we are a community of believers impacted by God's saving grace and the love He demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Our response to this amazing grace is to allow it to transform our lives and to share it with others. As a body of believers, we find our purpose in knowing Christ, growing together, and reaching beyond ourselves to help others do the same. Oh, awesome. Well, welcome, everybody. Everyone, I cannot believe that we are in our last session. It blows my mind that it is April, and we've been doing this journey together for four months, and I just wanted to thank you for your faithfulness and um, for laboring with me in this, and ultimately— As I have been thinking and reflecting and praying over the things that God has revealed in this class, I have been uh, more compelled by who He is. And so, my prayer is that we can just come away more in awe of who He is and what that means about who we are. And so, I want to start out this class by how we typically do it, which is taking a moment with the Lord, a holy pause. And tonight what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, scripture over you from Psalm 16. And I just invite you to engage your senses in God's word. It says this, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each family represented in this room right now, Lord, um, that you have called us and equipped us, Lord, to be a vehicle for your presence. Lord, we thank you for making known to us the path of life, ultimately, Jesus. God, we praise you that we can come here and commune together and with you. And I pray that as we leave today, that we would be mutually encouraged, mutually encouraged by your love, by who you are, God, may we be more and more in awe of your activity in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, here we are. It's our last session. And I want to take a moment just to kind of celebrate where we have been way back in January when the things inside our noses were still freezing, um, becoming icicles. Uh, We learned about this. What is the foundation of family and discipleship? And in that session, we looked at just the blueprint of God's purpose and plan for why he created family. And then in the second session, we talked about specifically what is family discipleship? How does God's presence and how does God's promise change how we live within our homes? Last session... Back in March, we asked this question, what are attainable practices for family discipleship? We looked at the model of Jesus that he chose to embody and engage and equip and expand. And what does that mean for us in our homes to do the same? In this session, I want to look at two very profound gifts that we've been given And what I want tonight to be is just a little bit of a charge, a focus on who God is and what that means for who we are and a charge to go out into our homes to disciple. And the two gifts he's given us, he's given us many, but the ones I want to focus on in this context is the power of prayer and the power of a people. You see, when God has gifted us these two things, he's acknowledging that we are meant to do life in community, in community with him, and in community with others, and we are invited to be empowered by community. He does not anticipate us to do parenting and family discipleship by our own strength or our own capacity, but in the power that we find when we commune with him and others. So what I want to do is, first we're going to take a look at prayer. And when I was thinking about prayer, this question kind of came to my mind. Um, have you ever experienced something where you were given a position that you felt very much unqualified for? This happens to me a lot. Um, the first time, or one of the most like monumental times in my life that I can remember is when we were in the hospital with my first born son. He came three and a half weeks early, so we were uber unpre- unprepared. But I remember being in the hospital and holding this tiny, like helpless baby. And suddenly I was like, I'm a mom, I'm a mom. I had been given this new position and I had to start doing mom things. It was unbelievable and wild how suddenly holding my newborn son I was given the position as a mom and I had to start walking in it and acting like it and doing the mom things. I did not feel qualified for it. Still don't know if I do. Another time that I uh, really took on a new identity and a new position was about 10 years ago I asked for a punching bag for Christmas. I've used it about two and a half times in the course of my life Uh, But when I got this punching bag, I got the gloves and the equipment and the punching bag lady outfit. And I was like, I am now a punching bag lady. I have to do what punching bag ladies do. I don't know what's the name for it, boxer maybe. But because I had this equipment and because I had this outfit and these gloves, I was walking in this reality that this is who I am. I think for us, the, true can be, the, the, the truth can be the same when we're given our position in Jesus. And what I want to do tonight is I want to look at a story in Scripture briefly. I want to look at the story in Scripture where someone needed to walk in a new position, in new clothing. It comes from Zechariah 3. You see, Israel had just been freed from captivity from Babylon. And at this point, they were able to return to Judah so that they could start rebuilding the temple. And Zechariah has these series of visions. And in his fourth vision, he has um, a vision about the high priest, Joshua. In this vision, Joshua is presented to God. And I want to look at what um, is said in verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. I'm going to pay attention to that last line. Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. You see, in this specific context, when Satan is present, it's shown as this kind of courtroom imagery. And we see this a lot in Scripture. When the accuser is present, it's usually in kind of what it would look like a courtroom in the heavenly realms. And Satan here is described as accuser, God's opponent. He's at the right hand of Joshua accusing him. All throughout scripture, he's called the father of lies, someone who accuses day and night. And in his role as accuser, Satan seeks to discredit God's servant, accusing him of his sinfulness and ceremonial defilement. Why don't you sit with that for a moment? Accusing God's servant, seeking to discredit him from his position. The truth is, Joshua, as high priest, was unclean. He was sinful. In verse 4, it says that Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes, and he was not only guilty himself, but he represented the defilement of an entire priesthood and nation. Joshua was both guilty and accused. I I want us to pay attention to God's response. You see, it says that God rebukes the accuser. This word rebuke, I hope I never have to face anyone with this kind of rebuke. Because it's a strong language. One commentator says that it was like a strong invective against his opponent. He rebukes Joshua's accuser and the accuser does not speak. Why? Because Joshua belonged to the Lord. God had a new position for him. The uh, accusations just fell on deaf ears in the presence of the Lord. This is where it gets really profound. In verse 3, it says, The angel of the Lord said to those who were standing before him, Take off his dirty clothes. I love this imagery and this symbolism because in OT, the Old Testament, um, clothing was strong symbolism. So kings wore royal robes and prophets wore things called mantles and priests wore something called cultic vestments. I don't know what a cultic vestment is, but it sounds neat. He says, take off your dirty clothes. And then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. Fine, rich White garments. Another picture of this is in Isaiah 61. It says this, For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. You see, Joshua could now serve in righteousness. He had a new garment. He had new clothing. He was given a new position. And nothing now stood between him and the Father. Nothing. He had direct access to the Father. I'm curious about what clothing maybe we have put on as parents or even as humans. In the first session, I was um, transparent and vulnerable about how Much of my first few years of being a mom, I was clothed and weighed down by guilt, by shame, by my limitations, by my weakness, by comparison, by the not enough, by the opinions of man. A picture that I could give it as I was clothed in like a garment of responsibility, and there was a weight with that. What, is we, what do we feel like is standing between us and God to have this position? To, be, to walk into our royal priesthood. In verse 7, the angel makes a promise to Joshua saying this, this is what the Lord Almighty says to you. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, Then you will govern my house and have a charge of my courts. And I will give you a place among these standing here. Joshua is given a place and a position. Friends, we too have a place and a position. And nothing stands between us and our new garments that we are clothed in Christ. We have the position of Jesus, the high priest, seated next to the Father... A lot of times in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, when it talks about Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father, that position was one of authority, power, and closeness to him. I think as moms, as wives, as sisters, as daughters, as co-laborers, we have the position of power and authority and closeness to the Father because of Jesus And this is where we transition into prayer. Because what is Jesus doing there? He is interceding for us. He's conversing, consulting, praying for us. Think about your kids. He's interceding for your kids. He's interceding for you. One commentator says this, God already knows all of our requests and concerns. He knows them before we do. He has already discussed them at length with his beloved son. Just, do you just picture the two talking about your family, your concerns? We have been given a new position. We are part of a royal priesthood. We have new clothing. When we look at prayer tonight, I want to, we're going to specifically be talking about prayer within the realm of our family, and there's three sections that I want to look at, and the first one is to pray, to have prayer in our place, the second is to have prayer in our position, and to have prayer in his promises, to pray the promises, So, tonight, I just want us to kind of see this as being a charge. How do we commune with God and talk to God and intercede on behalf of our children? Right now, my son Judah is a fascinating child. He's so much fun. He's two and a half, going on 17 lately. And something that's really fascinating about him right now is it's almost as if, and if you have teenagers in the room, This is probably more so at your stage, but it's almost as if his stomach is like a compass. Like about every 15 minutes, uh, he says, mom, can I have a snack? Mom, can I have a snack? And this boy loves candy and snacks. And in fact, when we meet a new person, instead of saying hi or hello, he has now said, do you have a donut? While I love that boy, he kind of has this muscle or this impulse of having his hunger or his stomach be a compass, his desire for snacks. Does that ever change? You guys can tell me later. (laughs) Um, But it's a unique stage of parenting. And I'm wondering for us what it looks like to have this muscle, this response to life, of praising God, of acknowledging who he is through prayer. You see, when our hearts beat with truth, the accusations will fall on deaf ears, just like Joshua. I want to talk about something called heartbeat prayers. In 1 Thessalonians, we see this scripture a lot, but I want to read it over us. It says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I love how it says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Because I feel like a lot of times in my life, I'm wrestling through um, what the will of God is. When I'm unsure, this is the will of God. Right here. To rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances. And we can do this in Jesus. You see, praying without ceasing um, has been something that I have personally been very intimidated by in my life. How do I do that as a mom? How do I do that as someone who um, feels like the schedule is just nonstop? How do I pray without ceasing? One commentator says it this way, It is not possible to spend all of our time with the words of prayer on our lips, but it is possible to be all our days in the spirit of prayer, realizing our dependence on God, for all we have and all we are, and yielding ourselves continually to do His will. See, praying without ceasing doesn't really involve our words as much as it does our posture of our heart, that if we practice an acknowledgement of God and talking to God, that soon that will be our compass through life. That when we have a worry or an anxiety, Or when you have a moment or someone comes to mind or an opportunity, our impulse is going to be directed towards him and not us. Because as we see in Zechariah, accusation points us to ourselves. Thankfulness and gratitude points us to Jesus. I think as parents, this is probably this concept of joy and gratitude It's going to be more about obedience and feeling. It's not about denying trials or putting them away or shoving them down, but in the trials, acknowledging and trusting the one who says that he will work out the good for those who love him. Paul, man who wrote this, faced many, many trials. And what I love about him is that He is someone that demonstrates what it looks like for sorrow and joy to mingle. And he does it through prayer. That it's in Christ Jesus that he has joy, not in his circumstances. So how can we start to have this heartbeat prayer that our first instinct is to acknowledge and look to God, to thank him. To acknowledge who he is. I think first, the first muscle that we can start developing, our first compass, is just dependence. I've been starting to practice every day just declaring dependence. I'm declaring dependence. Paul Miller in The Praying Life says this, and know that you can't do life on your own. In other words, you need to recognize your need to depend on the Lord in every situation. That dependence is my compass. Prayer is the language of trusting in the Lord. The second one is a heartbeat prayer can just be acknowledging and thanking God for who he is. God, you are the good shepherd. God, you are the physician. God, you are the Messiah, the teacher. You are the bread of life. The more that we acknowledge God for who he is, our eyes are taken off of ourselves and our circumstances and onto him. And the third, I kind of mentioned this already, but is when we have a thought, we present it to the Lord. So for me, an anxiety or a worry, or maybe God put somebody on my mind, I take these things and I want to start practicing. I'm not great at it yet, but I want to start practicing of taking these thoughts captive and presenting them to the presence of the Lord. Asking God, what do I do with this? I lay this anxiety before you. I acknowledge who you are. May prayer, this kind of heartbeat prayer, like Judah had his stomach and his snacks, may that be our first response. I think it takes time and practice. The second one is to pray out of our position. Is everyone here from Sioux Center? Where are you from, Denise? Oh, very cool. Is that a lot like Sioux Center? Okay. Um, I remember when I first went to Dort and I met my husband, Sam, who's from the Dallas area, has heard nothing of Snicker salad or Reformed theology or really even snow for that matter. And so I remember it was like he had landed on this brand new planet. And I felt as if I had to stand in the gap between him and Sioux Center like you're going to love it just just stay here long enough like you're going to you're gonna, it's going to be great and I feel like I had to build this bond between Sue Center and Sam and I stood in the gap between the two of them now he loves it I think he's always loved it you know intercession is standing in the gap that Jesus stands in the gap for us so we get to stand in the gap for our children I love this picture um, where intercession is like holding someone in one hand and God in the other. That as intercession is an invitation to stand in the gap for our children. To pray on their behalf. You know, prayer doesn't just connect us to God. It actually matters and it changes things. Do we believe that? I'm not, I'm not sure I always do. It changes things. Do we, do we really believe the Lord hears us? I've had to start asking myself that question. Mark Batterson says it this way in uh, his book, The Circle Maker. Prayer turns ordinary parents into prophets who shape the destinies of their children grandchildren and every generation that follows there's an illustration in Luke 11 I love Jesus because he loves stories and I love story and stories really help me so it's like he knows us as people but this story in Luke 11 is uh, this parable of somebody who really needed and wanted bread for a guest that was coming to his house And the story that he tells has so much detail, and I think the detail is important, is that he goes to his neighbor at midnight to knock on his door for bread. And he knocks, and he knocks, and he asks, and he asks. He says, I need bread, I need bread. And finally, the grumpy old tired neighbor gets up and gives him bread. The Greek word that is used in this parable means to sh- a shameless refusal to quit. He simply would not go away until the man gave him what he wants. Jesus concludes the parable by saying, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. The Greek could literally be translated as this. Ask, keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. ...that we're invited to practice persistent prayer. This is the work. I want to give two caveats here. What this is not saying... ...is the amount of faith that you have... ...is what gets God's good gifts. Not the amount of knocking or the amount of faith... ...but rather what Jesus is teaching... ...that it is if a tired, grumpy old neighbor... ...will get up in the middle of the night... ...to give his neighbor bread... How much more will our Father who loves us give us what we need according to his will? Another place in scripture, it says, the birds of the air get food. How much more valuable are you? How much more valuable are your children to the Lord? The second caveat that I want to give is it's not about getting what we want. Um, This is hard for me sometimes. Sometimes. I think I have much better ideas than God, if I'm being honest. It's not about get, getting what we want, but discovering what he wants in our life. What does he desire for our children, for our family, for the generations that will follow? This is the great work as parents, to yield to Jesus' urgency when he says, pray and don't give up, pray and don't give up. This is something I'm starting now. This practice of intercession, it's never too late to start. We already have Jesus interceding on our behalf, let's join him. Uh, Mark Batterson, I uh, love his work, he's so inspiring. He talks a lot about persistent prayer and the myths about persistent prayer and the truths about persistent prayer, so if you have time to go check out his work, he's, he's incredible. But something that I've started to practice that he has uh, instructed people to do is something called a prayer list. And what we need to know is that a prayer list is not an agenda for God. It's not like, here, Lord, here's your to-do list. But a prayer list is discovering God's agenda. Discovering God's agenda. There's two different ways that we can do this. When we were having my son Zion... There's a lot of complications with having children, and when we heard that Zion Zion was going to be a healthy pregnancy, we felt like the Lord gave us the name Zion, which means raised up. And we began to ask him, Lord, what are these things over Zion that you want us to start praying? And there's three things every night that we pray over Zion, and he knows them. And he recites them. And they're this, to have a love for the outcast. To have a joy in all circumstances. And to have a voice for the kingdom. Just pray those three things. We have three for Judah too. These specific things that we rotate and rotate over him. And it is incredible to see these prayers being fulfilled but in ways I didn't expect. Not always in the fancy, clear-cut, beautiful ways that I wanted to have these perfect children, but in ways that, that were God's agenda and God's ideas. And a four-year-old, wow. The other way is um, we can do repetitive, specific things, but then we can write specific prayers along the way. When God calls something to mind um, to pray for our kids, we just write them down, and we write them down, and we write them down. You see, when we pray from our position, we are near to the Father, and nothing stands between us and Him. The last section about prayer is to pray the promises. To pray the promises. Um, <clears throat> I heard a story once. Uh, it's not my story, it happened to my friend, but they got invited to this concert. It was a country concert, so I would not have been there. Um, And somebody gave them these wristbands and said, here, have, have these free wristbands, go to the concert. So they go to this concert in Texas and their seats were kind of like way in the nosebleeds. So way off in the way like deep section and they could barely see and they weren't really having the best time. And then after, Um, after the concert, the person said, like, how was it? How did it go? And they said, well, we couldn't really see anything. Like, the seats weren't that great. Um, and the guy was like, what? Like, your wristbands gave you access to anywhere you wanted to go. Your wristbands gave you access to wherever you wanted to go in the concert. And I think when it comes to prayer... Sometimes I can just sit in my own little corner and in my own little ideas of what I think needs to be done when really we have access to the fullness of truth. That we can pray God's word over our family. That we have access to the fullness of God and the fullness of his truth here. In the packet that you can take home with you tonight. I've created the 31 Days of Praying Scripture. I hope um, that you are able to engage this. It's just one different place in Scripture that we want to speak and pray over our children. And then you're given like a section there to write your own prayer, specifically over your children. I'm praying that this is an encouragement to you, Here's a quote, again, by Batterson. He says this, The Bible was not meant to be read, it was meant to be prayed. Start reading, and God will start speaking. And that's when you need to stop reading and start praying. It's beautiful. Psalm 1 says this, But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, he meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. I'm not sure, um, last session we talked about how context is so important to Jesus and how much he cares about your context. I don't know exactly what season of life that you are in right now and maybe you're burnt out by prayer. You're burnt out by asking. Maybe you don't feel close to God Maybe you feel that he feels distant right now. Or maybe you're on the other end where you're like, I'm ready, I'm hungry, let's do this. But wherever you find yourself right now, he sees you and he cares deeply about your context. And Jesus has given you the Holy Spirit. You see, Scripture says that he helps us in our weakness. In Romans 8, we learn that when we do not know what we need to pray for the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans he searches our hearts and knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for god's people in accordance with his will when we don't know what to pray he is groaning and praying on our behalf So if whether we're burnt out by prayer or we're ready to go to start implementing these things, there's another gift that we've been given that helps us do this, which is community, which is a people, a concept of communal discipleship, us in this room, my sisters. I uh, need to be honest and transparent right now. Um, When my husband and I are having like discussions, we'll call them discussions, uh, that kind of feels like we have to be on the defense a little bit with one another. The other day we were having a discussion and I just stopped and paused. And I had to actively say, hey, I'm on your team. I'm on your team. We're on the same team. And so now we've kind of had to do these pauses and these reminders, hey, we're on the same team. We're on the same team. And in the first session that we had, we talked about how as a people, in order to be united, we have to know that we have a common enemy and a common, and a common mission. We mentioned that family was built and created to be like this robust, integrated team. Same enemy, same mission. I'm curious if we start practicing in our marriages, and here's the thing, we could do a whole thing on marriage. um, But I think if we start practicing in our marriages, I'm on your team. We're on each other's team. And we practice this within our family, that we have the same enemy and the same mission. What does it look like for our team to have an even bigger team, to be united on something? Friends, we're on the same team. We get to be on mission together. I think communal discipleship, we're given an invitation ultimately through the church. But to integrate our children into the body of Christ. Into the body of Christ. When I was praying about the body of Christ, I had this picture of all these people that I pray God will place in the life of my children. Mentors. Mentors. Generations through grandparents, aunts, uncles, their friends, their pastor, their youth pastor, their chi- children's pastor, their coaches, their teachers. I picture them all being a part of this body that is united on behalf of the discipleship of my child. It was very humbling. Ultimately, this is the church body. That we're not operating as families in this small, separate, man-made kingdoms, but that we are all united in God's kingdom together. As I think about communal discipleship and asking God to surround my children with people who are going to lead them to Jesus, I think first we have to pray the body. God, bring the hands, bring the feet, bring the legs and the mind and the heart that is going to be so united on raising my child to know Jesus and walk in the truth of Jesus, pray the body, bring the hands, God, bring the feet. The second thing after we pray the body is that we can deeply get connected in our churches I think that when we think about the body of, um, Christ, we have this beautiful picture with new life and center point and beyond, that this is an invitation to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves, that our team gets to be a part of a bigger team. And the last one might be the more challenging one is why, why is this so difficult though? The third one is, answers that, is that we have to move towards people. But unfortunately in this world, there are a lot of things that divide us within the church as well. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, it says this, I appeal to you brothers. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth that was facing all kind of divisions. These people who wanted to be united in Christ, who loved Jesus, had all of these man-made divisions in between them. And he says this, I appeal to you, my brothers and my sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you can be perfectly united in mind and in thought. The other thing that happened when I was praying over the body was I started to notice barriers between me and some people that are part of the body. It was humbling to think about what are the things that are dividing me between people that I didn't even know about. God, break down the division so that we could be united in Jesus. So that we can move towards people to disciple our children together. To come to the table knowing we're on the same team. Asking each other, how can we help surround your children? How can we surround you? How can we walk with you? At the beginning of this class, we talked about Joshua. And I want to circle back there. You know, if I have to see myself in new garments, I have to see all of my brothers and sisters in Christ with these new garments as well. So I challenge you over the next few weeks... If there's an opportunity to reconcile or bring the body of Christ, I want you to see that person dressed in garments, dressed in Jesus. That you guys are a royal priesthood. That center And new life is a royal priesthood. It's a beautiful image. And So pray the body. Pray the body. Get connected in the church. And move towards people to build up the body around your family. It's hard work. In this culture it's worth it how um i want to end tonight is i want to pray over us and then i would love to I'm gonna take my mic off hope that's okay um and just commune with you and talk about what's god doing in your lives um what has god been doing in your heart over the past few months and how we can maybe pray together and start even just now practicing this body image. And so, hate to put you all on the spot like that. But I'm get, I would love to commune with you. And then um, to pray, we're going to do that. And then what I brought tonight is, I brought copies of tonight's handout. But then I also brought a copy of the entire class um, in one handout if you want to take that home as well. So I just, from the bottom of my heart, thank you um, for doing this with me. I'm excited to commune with you. So, Father, we thank you for the gift of prayer. God, we thank you for the power of a people, that we are united in Christ, that we have the same goal, God, in family discipleship, that we want to see our children raised up to the kingdom, God, raised up in you. That we want our children to know you, to walk with you. So God, I pray that you would start breaking down barriers and breaking down walls, God. I pray that we could start seeing reconciliation with people in our life to build up this body of family discipleship. God, we ask that we would accept your invitation to intercede, to stand in the gap for people, to pray on their behalf. God, may we continually believe that prayer matters, that it changes things that it shows us your will, that it shows us your agenda, God. May we lay down our agendas. May we walk in your agenda, Lord, your activity for our family. And ultimately, God, may each of our families just be a vehicle for your presence. We love you and we thank you for this sacred time we've had together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Centerpoint Church podcast. Be sure to keep up with us on social media at facebook.com slash wearecenterpoint or on Instagram at wearecenterpoint. We hope to see you soon in person for worship this Sunday at 930.